thing. And that's all it means. We just changed addresses. We got a bigger place. And, uh, but it's the same group of people. But we don't know who God's going to be adding to our church family. Amen? Amen, amen. Some of you are looking forward to that. Some of you don't want that. <laughs> but we should want it. All right. Sorry, let me get to... Please turn your Bibles over to the book of James. Book of James, uh, we continue our Radical Change series. This is in the book of James. Please. So we're going to be on James chapter 1, verse 13 to 18. If you're there, say amen. All right, amen. Let me begin reading. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this building that you provided for us. Thank you for your sovereign hand for protecting us from coming here from our house, our homes. Thank you for all the blessings. Thank you for this wonderful day. Thank you for our family. Thank you for our life. Thank you for our jobs, our businesses. We thank you for the songs that prepared our hearts in order for us to be prepared to meet you and the message that you have for us this afternoon. We pray right now, Lord God, for your anointing. Anoint all of us, Lord God. Open our hearts so that we will receive your message for us. Humble us, Lord. The things that we think we already know, Father God, let us remember that as you speak to us through your word, it is your Holy Spirit revealing to us these things. So I pray, Father God, that we will receive, we will receive your message and that you open our minds, Lord God. Be with us, Lord, and teach us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. All right, praise God you're here. The, you know, the weather is nice, so the tendency when the weather is nice, what happens? Temptation, right? The temptation of Lake Tahoe. <laughs> the temptation of Lake Tahoe happens. Um, we're still in chapter one in our radical change series, and chapter one is a painful beginning, you know. And then it's John. John, are are you? It's not you. It's me. Is the title? Is that where we are? Okay. There you go. That's the title. Sorry, I, I finally have my clicker. Now I'm confused. <laughs> All right. So uh, I entitled our message tonight, It's Not You, It's Me. So those of you who are laughing, you've heard this before. You either gave it as an excuse when you were breaking up, or you heard that excuse when they were breaking up with you in their relationship. It's not you. It's not you. It's me. 
Now, we read in the book of James, um, this is just a review. James is a book. It's like the Proverbs of the New Testament. Now, James is a book that is not about helping you find your way, but helping you live your walk. Again, the book of James is for believers, Christians, right? This is what teaches us how to live our faith. Now, we all know that nobody looks forward to a surgery because it's painful. There's cutting and there's pain. There's trauma. Our body's going to feel trauma. And we discussed the, the previous, like the, for those of us or those of you who are just joining us for the past three Sundays, we've been doing the book of James. This is the third set. This is the part three of it. So tonight, we will be discussing this. This the big idea of the message tonight is uh, it will help the believer understand temptation and how to live in victory over temptation. So I know I always only have 45 minutes and I'm not even good at keeping in 45 minutes. So I broke this part. This is, this is, this is going to be part one. So the next part will be the following Sunday. I will be tackling three things tonight. Um, I will be tackling three things tonight, but before that, I want, I want to read this to you. Uh, historians tell us that Mark Antony was one of the most eloquent leaders in all of the Roman Empire. He was a great orator who could sway millions with his tongue. He was a tremendous philosopher, a scholar, a fierce warrior, and a great opponent of Christianity. He was among the greatest, and yet he had one major flaw. He had a problem with morality. Historians tells us, tell us that it is recorded during a debate among Mark Anthony's generals that one military, military leader stood and said, O Marcus, greatest of leaders, yet you remain a colossal child able to conquer the world, but destroyed by temptation. Now, often we think of temptation, we immediately think of sensual or sexual temptation. However, temptation can be pleasure, just like the temptations to stay at home and not go to church, the temptation to just fall asleep and not pray, right? Temptation can be pleasure. Temptation can be possessions, or positions, pride, popularity, or cheating in a competition. For example, Lance Armstrong. Remember? Live strong. Imagine being a world champion race cyclist, winning the Tour de France for seven consecutive years, and then having it all fall away because you decided to take performance-enhancing drugs. That's Lance Armstrong's life. The worst part about all of it is Armstrong was a hero to many, especially after he fought the, his testicular, testicular cancer and he beat it in, in 97. Now, until he was revealed as the ringleader of the doping scandal. The champion cyclist never denied the charges and never admitted the extent of his drug usage. As a result, he's been banned for life for any competitive sports. 
and he has been stripped off of all his titles after 1998. It's like those Tour de France races never even happened. After the United States um, Anti-Doping Agency came out with their 2012 report on Armstrong, every single one of his sponsors dropped him. Some reports said he lost over $75 million in one day. Now his charity organization, Livestrong, dumped him and Nike cut all ties to it in 2013. What was Live Strong became Live Wrong. So there's a lot of cheating when it comes to sports. Uh, there was this guy in 1988, his name's Ben, uh, ben Johnson. He's from Canada. He beat the U.S. sprinter Carl Lewis, but then he was disqualified because he used steroids. So temptation has no boundaries. The reason why I'm bringing this up and I'm using that illustration is because to remove any pride in any of us right now. Because some of us, like I said, when we, we think of temptation, we automatically align it with sexual temptation. Anything that we see as morally wrong. But temptation can come as an extra change at the 7-Eleven store. They were over $10. Now, for some of us, maybe most of us will say, hey, this is over $10. But what if it's a million dollars incorrect clerical error in your bank and you actually needed $250,000 of that because you're in the middle of purchasing a church building? <laughs> the irony, right? The church needs this right now. Maybe this is God's answer to our prayers. They made a mistake. Maybe it wasn't a mistake. Now, temptation can hit the precedent, as we all tragically know and witness in our generation. It can also hit a prisoner, or sadly, even a pastor. A George Barna survey reports only one of every four men that begin ministry will actually retire from ministry. One out of four. The number one destroyer of the minister is his inability to defeat temptation. Now, there's different sides of temptation. So there was a meeting of pastors at the Nevada Baptist Convention. So there were four pastors, I think. So first pastor said, can you please pray for me? I struggle with money. When the tithes and offering come in, I, I'm tempted to grab extra half of that envelope. The next pastor said, please pray for me because I struggle with the girls when they're at church. I, when I see good-looking girls, I struggle. So please pray for me with the temptation of girls. And then the, there's actually just three. And then the last pastor said, please pray for me because my temptation is gossiping and I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> so it's a joke. It's a joke, okay. <laughs> but it's, it could be true but it's a joke now for this reason the temptation has no boundaries the counsel of James is absolutely imperative for all of us now and in any generation now some of you may be struggling with temptation maybe today some have already 
Maybe some of you have already yielded to temptation, and you are just waiting for the day of discovery. Some have just been introduced to the seed of temptation, and you have entertained the possibility of playing with the bait. Today, what every person that hears or reads this message, hopefully when they read it on the internet maybe, uh, you must understand this, that there is no person who can say that can never, that will never happen to me. You should never say that. Because pride comes before the fall. Some people say, I'll never yield to temptation. The moment you say never, the enemy begins to bait his hook. That's when he puts the bait there. Listen carefully to this message from James that we entitled, I entitled, It's Not You, It's Me. Three biblical truths tonight. Always around us, temptation is always around us. The temptation is not from God. And there is a pattern. There's a pattern. First point, it's always around us. That's in verse 13. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. Similar to trials. It's a matter of when. It's not a matter of if. For my Ilocano friends, it's a matter of yes. When. 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 <laughs> it's a matter of when. Because the word tempted in the Greek is pyrazo, meaning the solicitation to receive or embrace evil. The world, the, the Christian has three enemies. And don't look at your spouse right now. It's, we have three enemies. We have three enemies. The world, the devil, and the flesh. So, the world is around us. The enemy is around us. And our flesh, we're pretty much in our flesh up to now. So no person, including the most spiritual Christian, can escape temptation. Even the Lord in His humanity, in His humanity, who was without sin, was tempted by the devil. Now, there's probably some biblical students here that's arguing with me right now, saying, no, the Lord wasn't tempted. It's okay. You can be wrong. <laughs> because... because the Lord was tempted, but yet he did not yield. So being tempted alone is not the sin, right? But giving in to temptation is the sin. Just as it is common to man to be tempted, it is also common for him to blame someone or something else. Not only for his being tempted, but also for his succumbing to the temptation. From the beginning of time, one of the chief characteristics of sin has been the propensity to pass the blame to someone else. 
We love the blame game. Don't you agree? We got it from Adam and Eve. You know, in Genesis 3, God confronts Adam with his sin in the Garden of Eden. And then Adam's reply was, the man said, the man said, the woman, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and then I ate it. You know, I remember Alonzo when he first heard the story of, of um, Adam falling asleep on his rib. God took part of his rib and then created wo the woman. Alonzo one time woke up and his side was hurting. He said, Dad, I think I'm having a wife. <laughs> I'm glad he's not here because he'll be upset. <laughs> and now the second one, the Lord confronts Eve. What is this that you have done? She, re she replied, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Now Eve blamed Satan. Adam blamed Eve. But Adam, even worse, blamed God. So when, when people come to me and they say, Pastor, I'm sorry I didn't come to church because my husband... Sorry, Pastor, I wasn't able to help you because my, you know, there's, there's always that, that passing the blame. The worst thing is, how many times have you done this? Have we done this? Remember the atheist? The atheist will say, the person that doesn't believe in God, what does he do? He blames God for everything that, ha that is bad that is happening in the world. That's what the atheist does. He blames the God that doesn't exist. So all these bad things is because your God is not good. That's why I don't believe in Him. How about the, the Christian who struggles in gambling? Right? How about the Christian that struggles in gambling? That his gambling problems have caused his marital issues, lost, uh, made him work overtime, miss church, and everything else because he's in debt. Guess what he's saying? The Christian that struggles with, uh, with gambling says, it's because... You, Lord, brought me to Reno. I wanted to stay in California. But you had the great idea to give my wife a job here in Reno where casinos are legal. And then when I got in my car, there was gas, enough gas to bring me to Atlantis. And when I got to Atlantis, there was a cashier right there. If it wasn't your will for me to gamble... We know how ridiculous it is, right? But there are many ways that we have passed the blame towards God. Now, James, James has no patience. If you read it again, James has no patience with this foolish fatalism by which a man blames anyone or anything for his own sin of yielding to temptation. Even more vehemently, James opposes the intolerable idea of blaming God. Church, we have to truly watch it. God hears everything, and God sees our hearts. The moment that we yield to temptation, it is not Him. It is not you with the capital Y-O-U. It's not Him, but it's us. It's not you, Lord, but it's me. 
not God. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. James says that no one should suggest that God is even indirectly responsible for temptation to evil. God never tempts anybody. God sends trials to us. Remember, we discussed trials the last time. Trials, when God sends us trials, it's to improve our character. It's to reveal what's in us. It's to reveal to us our worth. It's to reveal to us how much we love Him. It's to reveal to us the things that we are still needing improvement in. Trials, God sends trials to strengthen us, to build us. Temptation is from the enemy. Temptation is the lie of the enemy that he sends to us in order to kill us, to destroy us. He sends the temptation, and the temptation says, take it, it's good for you. You deserve it. And in the moment you take it, then he condemns you. I can't believe you said that. Is that what a Christian does? A person that goes to church all the time, but yet you gave in, then he condemns you. And then you get depressed, and then he kicks you while you're down. Temptation is not from God. In his fierce opposition, James provides biblical proof that God is not responsible for our temptations and even less responsible for our yielding to the temptation. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. James provides the biblical proof that God cannot tempt by sharing the pattern of temptation. I'm going to share you the pattern, but do you remember... The famous temptation verse, 1 Corinthians 10, 13. For no temptation that sees you except what is common to man, but God is faithful. He will always give you a way out so you can stand up from under it. Do you remember Joseph the dreamer? When Joseph the dreamer was tempted by the first cougar in the book. <laughs> Vince got it. The first cougar recorded. Potiphar's wife, tempting Joseph in a very subtle message, come sleep with me. It wasn't so subtle, right? But then what was the tool that God gave Joseph to escape that temptation? His own feet. His own feet. God will give us the strength, and we have it, we have our feet, we have our eyes, we have our discernment to get away from temptation. We have to use it. Now here's the pattern. The pattern, verses 14 to 16. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived, my brothers. The enemy is the father of lies. Amen? Everything that he's telling you, tempting you, that this is good. That's a lie. 
Remember the temptation in, in the garden. God surely didn't say the first thing. He will make you doubt what God said. And then the second thing, he will make you doubt God's goodness. Because his next line was, God just doesn't want you to know from good and evil. And you know what the truth is? God never intended for us to know what good and evil is. God just wanted us to know him. But no, they wanted to know. And up to now, that is when we fall into sin. When you're falling into sin, when you've sinned, you've said, and you made the determination, we made the determination that this is good. Whatever God is telling me, I don't care. This is good for me right now. That's what sin is. You said you know better than God. Each one emphasizes the universal nature of temptation. No person is immune. No person is immune. I don't care how old, how young, how rich, how poor, how smart, how not so smart. It's for everybody. Every human being is tempted, and there are no exceptions. Now, let's, the first, we're going to look at the pattern. The first pattern is the look part, the looking part. Verse 14, but each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. See, the look part. You know, what some people say, some of my guy friends tell me that they don't take a second look on temptation. They just take one long look. <laughs> because when you look and you take a second look, you're on your social media and you're just minding your own business and then something pops up. You, you couldn't help it that it popped up. But if you, if you just stare and then you stay, the idea, the, the idea now gives birth to, the temptation now becomes sin. So everybody's tempted, but temptation is not sin. But we should not entertain any sinful thoughts. Is that clear? Because I, I did say earlier, temptation is not the sin. So when we're being tempted, that's not the sin. But when we're entertaining, be careful because that's when you're falling into sin. So that's the first part, the look part. Be careful with your eyes. The Bible says, be careful what you're looking at. You know, the, the temptation of money, the temptation of acquiring more money, I say temptation because there is a need for us to make money. God has blessed us with work. Work is good. Work is our responsibility. We are to earn money. But when work becomes the idol, because the money becomes an idol, the money becomes an idol and temptation becomes about work when you're just always looking at the material things. You're looking at your car, it's four years old, and then the commercial, you're watching a football game, and then the commercial... Lexus GS 2024. It parks by itself. 
and it flies about two feet high. You will be the envy of the neighborhood. And then you say, my car's getting old, right? Then you know it's going to increase your monthly, but who cares, right? The temptation, there's temptation there. But there's nothing wrong with nice things. It becomes wrong when you put it on top of God. Remember Matthew 6, 33. Seek him first, his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Now, second, the second pattern of temptation, the lure. But each one is tempted by his own evil desire. He is dragged away and enticed. Dragged away and enticed. Both describe closely related but different aspect of temptation process, of the temptation process. Dragged away is compelled by an inner desire. It's your inner desire to follow a baited trap designed to lure an unsuspecting animal to it. Now, enticed was commonly used as a fishing term to refer to the external desire or bait. The purpose was to lure the prey from safety and to capture. And then what did they do? Death. You know, I was at the pastor's conference many years ago in Vegas, and there was this pastor who works for the National Geographic uh, magazine. And he, would, he's, he traveled all, all over the world. And he was uh, introduced, he met this guy who, was, who worked in the safari, and he, he's a hunter. And he had all sorts of the, you know, the dead animal's head on his walls. And he asked him, what kind of, what kind of trap uh, are you using to capture all these animals? And you know what the guy said? an experienced hunter. He said, it's never about the trap. It's always about the bait. It's always about the bait. So all of us, we are enticed by our own evil desires. The things that attract me on temp uh, with temptation might not be the same with you. You know, when, when, when I tried to teach the the group before about fasting, praying and fasting, I told them to fast on something that you think you cannot live without. So a lot of Filipinos, we gave up rice. <laughs> we had one particular guy in our group that he said, I, uh, and then I said, okay, um, the next challenge is we will give up rice and sweets. And the guy goes, Oh, I have no problem giving up sweets because I don't eat sweets. And then I said, then you're not supposed to give that up. Give up something that is difficult for you to give up. That's why we practice fasting. You're training in fasting. You're training yourself to resist, to resist in giving in. When you're resisting, you're praying. That should be the practice. I don't want to eat rice. Lord, help me not to eat rice. But you have to be healthy to do all these fasting. Sometimes it's social media. I know uh, my sister and some other people said, I'm going to give up my social media because I seem to always be on it. So the, the lure is different for everybody. But mind you, we all have it. So you have to think about it tonight or this afternoon. Think about what is the thing that always lures me to fall away from my love 
with the Lord. Now, we succumb to temptation when our own evil desire draws us toward evil things that are appealing to our fleshly desire. In contemporary use, we call the evil desire lust. We lust about certain things. Lust has long been associated almost exclusively with illicit sexual desire. However, the Greek term for evil desire is epitomia, which translates a deep, strong desire or longing of any kind that is forbidden. Now, sin will normally look attractive and pleasurable. But mind you, only for a short period of time. If sin were not attractive, it would have little power over us. Satan always tries to make sin as attractive as possible. Do you agree? Some of you are falling asleep, and that's okay. That's the temptation. (laughs) That's also a temptation. Do I resist Right? But remember, there would be no attraction of sin if it were not our own evil desire. We must remember we cannot blame Satan and his demons or ungodly people or the world in general for our own evil desire. Sometimes we're quick to just blame Satan and the demons, and they love that. They love that. They're like, oh, yeah, focus on me. Don't focus on yourself. Focus on me. Put the blame on me. Because when we don't look into the mirror, we're not making the proper assessment. Oh, it's because I'm in Nevada. Then you move because of gambling, right? Then you move to Texas. And then you find some Filipino friends who plays posoidos, and you're like, oh, man, you're gambling gambling again, right? You think, do, do you find this odd that wherever you go, you are there? Wherever we go, we are present. And if we are the problem, then our problem follows us. Do you agree? (laughs) We have to be careful in blaming Satan and his demons in the world because it removes the eyes on us. Because remember, the the things that, that tempts us comes from our own evil desire. Hence our title. It is not you, it's me. It's not you with a capital Y-O-U for God. But it's a me with a small M and E for us. The problem we face is not a tempter without, from without, but the traitor from within. Our own evil desires. And if you want to blame someone or something for your pain because you fell into sin, Look no further that your own life and your own evil desires, even the Apostle Paul reminded us of the sinful nature and the evil desire that he dealt with in his own life. Have you guys read Romans 7? Now, there's a discussion among commentators, but I lean more on the fact that when Paul wrote Romans 7, Paul was referring to Paul the Christian already, not the Paul unbeliever. So let's read 
Romans 7, 18 to 25. I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For what I do is not good. I want to do, no, the evil, for what I want to do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it. But it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. When I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making a prisoner of the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am! Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law. But in the sinful nature, a slave to the law of sin. The Apostle Paul, very honest, very humble, described the struggle and struggles that he goes through, or he went through. So if you know the accomplishments of the Apostle Paul, you can honestly tell yourself now, we're in a good we're in good company. We are in good company. Because all of us, until we die, until we go to heaven, until we go to glory, we will always be tempted because our flesh is very much alive. Our fleshly desires, our old self is still very much there. And we'll always whisper, oh, come on, you've done it before. You can do it again. Right? Oh, nobody knows. Well, we're all tempted. Remember, just as one type of bait or lure works well with one kind of fish, but not with all fish. No one's person, no one person's passion is another person's repulsion. Oh, I should say, so one person's passion is another person's repulsion. It is each believer's quote-unquote evil desires or lust, which we should be most concerned about because those who are where the individual is most vulnerable to temptation. Our commonality is not in the particular evil desires, but in the fact that we all have them. We are all susceptible to them and have sole personal responsibility for responding to them, them being the temptation. We have different temptations, different things. The commonality for us is that we all have it, but different things. The tragedy is that when we follow the lure of Satan, or the allure of sin, we tend to forget what? 
we forget the beauty and the goodness of God. When we follow the lure of Satan, because we got attracted to the beauty of it, we got attracted to the idea of it, we forgot how beautiful and how good God is. Remember Joseph the dreamer? We spoke about him earlier. How did he resist the temptation of, of the wife of Potiphar? He, did, he said this, How can I do such evil thing to my good God who has given me all things? Church, my dear friends, when we fall into the, into the temptation of sin, you have forgotten how good God has been and continues to be to you. How beautiful His grace is, how loving He is to us, constantly, endlessly chasing us, running after us. Don't go there. Turn back to me. Now, the great theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, Bonhoeffer uh, said, At the moment between the enticement and the bite, God is quite unreal to us. And the only desire we have is to conquer the bait which lies before us. In that moment, Satan will not fill our hearts with hatred for God. Simply forgetfulness. He wants us to forget how good God is. Remember, God just doesn't want you to know good and evil. Remember when, when Satan approached God and, and was condemning Job? Job only follows you and obeys you because you have given him all things. Try to take everything away from him and see if he follows you. Remember? He always, the enemy will always want for us to forget God's goodness and to doubt God's goodness. That's the pattern. We're still in the pattern. Now, at this stage, the lure, we will always tend to rationalize. That's the word. We rationalize, and then our discernment is completely clouded. It's clouded, and it's often gone. We think, what I am doing is not really bad. Everyone else does it. After all, I'm only human. Right? Wrong. If you are a believer, you need to be quite listening to the voice of human ra rationalization. And listen, you have to quit listening to the voice of human reasoning or rationalization and listen to the spirit of the living God which lives within your life. Stop thinking that you're only human because you're a new creation created in Christ Jesus. You have the new nature living in you. You have the Holy Spirit indwelling in you. You actually have, you actually have the power, the power to what? To surrender to the Holy Spirit. If you will just pray, Lord, help me obey you. Lord, this is so enticing right now. But Lord, help me obey you. And if you truly want it, 
God is faithful. He will give you a way out. Now we have to review before we get to the last point. The review is the, the, the pattern of the temptation. Of temptation is the look, the lure, and then the last point, the lie. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Don't be deceived. Now shifting from the metaphors of hunting and fishing, James now uses the process of childbirth to illustrate his greatest point. The truth about the lie. Desire is depicted as a mother conceiving and bearing a child. The child which is born is called sin. And the ultimate destiny of the child we call sin is death. Sin will always lead to death. James here makes clear that sin is the result of a specific process which is perfectly explained. Examine the word conceived. In order for there to be conception, you must have two elements joined together. The fact is obvious. When our own evil desires are joined with the enticement of the lure, then we conceive sin, which ultimately brings forth death. The illustration, you have your own illustration in your life, but it's also in the Bible when David... Remember when David fell with Bathsheba? Bathsheba loves to take baths. Iba. <laughs> Bathsheba. No. Now David, if you, it's in 2 Samuel 11, 1 to, 20, 1 to 27. When you go home, read about it. But David was supposed to be at war. But David decided to take a sabbatical. He said, you know what? Let the young guys go out and let me take the rest. Imagine David, the David, the beat Goliath with all the victories that he had, a very intimate relationship with God. God said, this is the man after my own good heart. What's wrong with taking a break? Nothing. Right? Nothing. Nothing. But there is something wrong with taking a break. If we know we have to be somewhere that God has destined for us. So he was the king and all kings must always be present at war. But he decided to take a break. Now David went up in his castle and he was looking around minding his own business until he saw what was beautiful. And then he saw that beautiful woman and then he was tempted because he just didn't accidentally see Bathsheba. Well, he probably did. Let's imagine it's, this is the top of the, the castle. Oh, right? Oh. What did David do? Oh. Oh, right? And then he inquired. So the look, so the pattern, again, the pattern of sin, the look, 
And then it was beautiful. The more you look, the beautiful it gets. That's why I don't go to car dealerships. Because <laughs> the more I smell that new car smell, I'm like, oh, I want it, Lord. Now, nah. So it was beautiful, and then he was tempted. He desired it. He asked, who is this woman? And then he was told, that's the wife of someone. But then what, he, what was his order? He, then he sinned with adultery because he commanded them, bring her over to me. And then he lied with her. Now the adultery, the sin, right? Again, the look, the lure, then the sin, the sin. And then we said that sin gives birth to death. Right? You go to the casino, you gamble your money, you, your wife will kill you. No, hopefully not. Death will come to your paycheck, right? Death will come. He sinned, the, uh, the sin of adultery. Then what did he do? Sin gives birth to another sin. Right? What did he do? He ordered the murder of Uriah because Bathsheba got pregnant when he lied with her, when David lied with her. So he came up with this great idea. Oh no, this is a scandal. Bring Uriah here. Uriah, sleep with your wife. Uriah had more integrity than David at that time. Uriah said, there's no way I will go home while knowing all my comrades are there battling in the field. He slept in the front at the door of the castle. David had no choice but to order his murder because in his mind, oh now Bathsheba is now single. No, I could, she can marry me anytime. So that's what happened. The murder, the death, and then what happened? After Nathan the prophet went to see him and his sin was revealed, what was the sentence? The baby, the fruit, the fruit of their love died. And then what happened to David? David wrote it in Psalm 51, but I will only give you verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Church, do you realize it? We are Christians. If you have accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you have received this gift of salvation when he died on the cross and you said, I am a sinner. I need God's grace. I need a Savior. God's work at the cross is perfect for me. I'll receive it, Lord. Please forgive me for my sins. You are forever forgiven. Your sins in the past, your sins today, your sins in the future are all paid for. However, we don't lose our salvation, right? We don't. That's what we've been teaching in this church for 17 years because that's what the Bible teaches. However, when we sin, we lose our joy. The enemy snatches our joy. Snatches our joy. And then when we sin, we get depressed. We get sad. When you, when, sometimes when you sin, you get callous. You like it. You're enjoying it. You're just, you're just embracing it. But one day, it will come. The, the Holy Spirit, like Nathan coming to the castle and telling David, it is you. You are the sinner. The conviction gripped David so much that he broke his heart. 
And then he said, give me the spirit, a willing spirit to sustain me. Because he was, he was depressed. I don't know what temptation you're facing right now. I don't know if you've already given in. I don't know if you're just coming up with the idea or just looking right now. I just hope that the words of, of, of James in verse 16 will speak life to you. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Sin will bring forth death. The fruit of sin is death. It will hurt you. You will lose your joy. The joy, the presence of the Lord that's in your life. And when you lose that, it will hurt. And it will be lonely. Now to conclude, again, the three biblical truths about temptation. Temptation is always around us. Temptation is not from God. And there is a pattern of sin. And I'll close us with this. Psalm 34, 8, also written by David. He says here, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. King David, the David that God has promoted from being the shepherd that even his dad forgot to bring up in the lineup. King David that has experienced great victories, great celebration, great many books have been written and stories about him. King David says, come and see that the Lord is good. Come and taste that the Lord is good. Christian, when tempted, don't forget God's goodness to you. When tempted, know that you are in the position of, uh, in your life right now because God has allowed it. If you're living a great life, because God is good. God has allowed that. All the, all the things that you're capable of doing, God has blessed you with that. Yes, of course, we go through our trials. We all go through it. But you know what? Taste and see that the Lord is good. You are called blessed if you trust in Him. Amen? No matter how many pleasures Satan offers to you, never, never forget that his ultimate intention is to ruin you. Your destruction is his highest priority. Temptation is his greatest tool. Your response to temptation is the most accurate measurement or barometer of your love for Christ. This is the message of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your guidance for us, your word that you've blessed us with this afternoon. I thank you for your people, for their faithfulness and willingness to be here this Sunday afternoon at your appointed time, at your appointed place. May you bless them, Lord God. May the truth about your message, Father God, resonate in their minds and in their hearts as they go through their day, the rest of the day today, and the rest of the week, Father God. Help them, Lord, those who have fallen into temptation, 
Rescue them, Lord God. Give them the help that they need. Give them the wisdom, the know-how to get out of it, Lord God. And I pray for those who are still being lured in. I pray for wisdom and discernment for them. Let the lie of that temptation be revealed to them. And Lord God, you are good. May we not forget this. May our love for you, Father, show in our obedience to you. And may your blessings be upon your people. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all the Lord's people said, Amen. Amen. Amen.